This message comes to you from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon, where we are committed to living like Jesus and sharing His love. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. That's enough. <clears throat> we love you. It's kind of a sure real thing for me to be here, you know, after so many months and what we went through. Phone call came to Sharon when they diagnosed me having cancer. Couldn't have been more of a surprise. You know, I'm a pastor. I, I pastor people that had cancer. I, I've been through cancer uh, journeys with people from beginning to end. I know probably a lot about it. I thought I did. I really didn't. And then for them to uh, say, you have <clears throat> this disease in your body. And if we don't deal with it, you know, the results could be uh, terminal. And so the uh, announcement that came to us was a, it's a shock to me, my family, uh, Sharon. Uh, she's been a rock. She took it, you know, with tears and like anybody else would, it would be a spouse. Uh, and then we had to stop. My whole life stopped. Uh, just out of the blue, every plan I had for 2014 ended with a one-minute announcement. One-minute news, and my whole life changed. And so I asked the doctor, I said, I don't really know the treatment uh, plan, so would you tell me what I'm facing, what, what actually will happen? during this time period because I need to make some decisions. I had two tumors on the hip, uh, one on this side, one on this side. This side over here was like a golf ball. This side over here was about the size of my fist. And I had been going through uh, excruciating pain from November, December, January, February, uh, and I, it was in my leg. I didn't know what was wrong, so I went to specialists. I thought I needed a an operation on my knee, it wasn't my knee, it wasn't this or that. <clears throat> so finally, one of the doctors said, Frank, it's not what you think it is. It's just, it's not. We're going to have to dig further. It's, it's not a knee replacement. It's not something, you're walking funny, there's something wrong. I said, well, yeah, I, I want to find what is wrong. When they finally diagnosed what was wrong, uh, it was in my leg, it was in my hip. And because of the hip, tumors, it had <clears throat> uh, wrapped up in my nerves. And so because the tumor was in my nerves, I had nerve pain, and the pain was undescribable, undescribable what, what I felt in my leg uh, every once in a while. I mean, I would just scream. It was, it was just excruciating, nothing I've ever experienced. And so the doctor says, that's because it's a nerve pain, and it shoots and goes all the way to your foot. And that's why I'm still not walking right. Uh, really, not because of the treatments. I, I'm, I'm strong otherwise. But this foot uh, does not obey me right now. And the, and the nerves have really messed up my foot. Uh, and so I'm in, in physical therapy trying to get that back. And so I can walk right and everything. And we will, you know, it'll come back in due season. They told me that. Uh, but if you want to pray, pray for my foot. The cancer's dead. Pray for the foot that's alive. And so uh, I can, I can uh, deal, with, deal with that. Uh, 
we went through, uh, Sharon added this up one day of, of everything we were doing, uh, of actually what the last seven months have been to my life. Uh, we've had 22 doctor appointments so far. That number will increase to another 20 maybe. Uh, 11 x-rays, MRIs, CAT scan, PET scans, one outpatient surgery to put a, a port, a cath in my chest, which I still have, uh, two biopsies, uh, six chemo treatments, three of those were in the hospital for four days at a time, 24-7, three lumbar punctures where they take and turn you over and puncture right in your spine and draw it out of your spine. That's the worst thing. I, I, would, I told the doctor, I said, I think I would just rather die right now. So I said, can you do something that I just die peacefully on the table instead of what you're doing to me? And uh, he said, no, I'd rather cause you pain. He says, because you're going to get through this. But man, it was, it was a horrible, horrible experience. Uh, I've spent 29 days in the hospital two trips to the ER, seven nurse visits at our house, 13 blood draws at a lab, and 20 radiation treatments. That's been the last seven months of my life. I also got pneumonia after the fourth treatment of chemo because my immune system was fried, and I got pneumonia, and I was back in the hospital again for four days during that time. And the doctor told my, my wife, he said, we came that close to losing your husband. He said, with the pneumonia, uh, it, was, it just turned me inside out. It was, it was harder for me than, than the cancer, the pneumonia was. And uh, I couldn't breathe is the problem. Obviously, with pneumonia, you can't breathe. And my lungs and everything. And so I'm back in the hospital with that, and they couldn't do the chemo. And so we've been through uh, a lot of things. And I just want to say, uh, like Andrew was saying, the, the enemy, what the enemy thought he could get away with, didn't work. And uh, didn't work. Now, I also want to be totally vulnerable and open to you about how I felt during this time period. I wasn't always the man of God on top of the mountain, you know, proclaiming scriptures and quoting the Bible every time the doctors came in and singing songs and hymns in my bed at midnight and praising God, speaking in tongues and prophesying my future and going around the ward and praying for all the sick people and people were getting up and we were having revival. There, there, were, uh, there were times that that did not exist in my atmosphere. I was so discouraged and so... Uh, uh, really surrounded by different kinds of fears, like, Lord, is this the way you're going to take me out? You know, maybe I missed it somewhere uh, with the church and with everything else. I mean, I'm at that age where it's kind of my golden years to enjoy this, and all of a sudden it's uh, questionable. Should I enjoy this? Am I done? Am I finished? Am I finished? Is this it? Is this how I'm going to go out? You know, I had to get a hold of that, and I had to fight fear. I had to fight doubt. I had to fight unbelief. Uh, one night I was, uh, usually it happens at nighttime for me, but I'm by myself in the hospital bed and I'm, I'm just quietly weeping. And uh, it's, it's early morning, two, three, four in the morning. And um, I'm trying to figure this thing out the best I can, but I'm not doing very good with it. It's, it's getting to me. And uh, I was just 
just trying to think right, and then came a nurse, one of the nurses, and she sat down with me, and she goes, you're having a hard time, aren't you? I said, yeah, I'm having a very hard time. She says, uh, let me talk with you about what I see here. And I said, sure. I said, you, you can talk to me about anything. And she began to describe uh, what a life of hope looks like and how she deals with patients. She had been a nurse for over 30 years, and she had worked in that ward for over 25 years. And so she says, I've seen him come and go, Frank. She says, I've seen him die in front of me. She says, I've seen it all. And she says, but when you came in, I had a special burden for you. I'm a Christian. And she says, immediately, the Lord said to me, this is not unto death. This is a man that will live beyond this. So I'm just going to tell you how to think right now. I mean, it was like an angel came through the gates, you know, for her to tell me, you're not going to die with this, Frank. You've got to think right. You, you're going to live beyond this. You're going you're gonna to help people. This is going to be a great thing for you. I said, a great thing for me? Why would God put me through it? She says, now that's a wimpy thing for a pastor to say. <laughs> She knew I was a pastor. And I says, no, it's not. She says, yes, it is. I said, well, why doesn't God tell me why he's doing it? Because he's God. He doesn't have to tell you. And here she is rebuking me, and I'm, I'm griping and fighting for her. And finally, she won out. And I said, okay, I'm going to give a good confession. She says, what will that confession be? I said, I'm going I'm to say, God is for me. She said, say it again. She tells me. Say it again, Frank. I said, okay, God is for me. So she says, now let's say it together. God is for me. I said, have you been to my church and listened to me preach? I said, are you just getting back at me for all the times I've done that to the congregation? Say this, say that. She says, no, I don't know anything about you, but I know you have to verbalize these things. Say it again. God is for me. Come on, church. God is for me. Say it again. God is for me. Now, that was here, but not here. I knew it. I didn't know it. I'm a pastor. Been doing this for as long as we've been married, longer than when we've been married, 40 plus years. And so I know the Bible. I know God knows the Holy Spirit. I pray. And so I asked the Lord, did I do something that you're getting back at me? Did I mess up somewhere? I mean, I've been a moral man. Been faithful to my wife for 37 years never been outside of marriage? I said, surely that counts for something. All these, all these other men are sleeping around and cheating. I don't cheat. I think you should heal me just based on that one thing. So I was going, I was going through my list, you know, of, of why, why would you let this happen to me and why you shouldn't let this happen to me. I'm a better man than this. And, and come into grips with it has nothing to do with who's better because it has everything to do with Christ who is better. And it's not, it's not my faults or my sins that causes Jesus to jump up and pound on me because he would have been beating me up a long time ago a lot more uh, because I have enough sin for myself and a few other people. And so we had to come to grips with God is for me in this situation. That began to change my spirit. Um, I had already divvied up the responsibilities to the church, to Mark and the guys, and I told them, I said, I won't be involved for seven, eight months. I, not even counsel, not even input. 
not even decisions, budget, nothing. I said, you guys are going to have to run the church 100% on your own. How can I do that? Because I trust him totally. We've worked together for many, many, many years. We meet every week. They know how I think. They know what the Bible says. And they're flat out good leaders. And so I backed out of the church 100%, gave them the church. And they would give me a few reports once in a while like, hey, man, the church is doing fantastic since you've been gone. The tithe is up. More people are coming. <laughs> That's true. That's true. They said, man, we just, man uh, we just can't believe families coming from every, every campus is growing. People are coming in and, and they're giving. The faith harvest is off the chart. The tithe is up so much. And, and uh, how you doing, Pastor Frank? Oh, good. Good. Maybe I should stay gone longer. Let's get the reports every once in a while. Well, the church was healthy and a healthy church grows. And leaders that we have are healthy. We couldn't miss. I never, ever worried one second about a disloyal leader or something weird going on or them meeting with me and saying, you know, you got cancer, you can't preach, you've been out of the pulpit all this time, and uh, we think maybe your time is up and you should just uh, kind of retire early and we'll help you do that. And God bless you. That's what some places do, by the way. And they, they came in every time saying, look, it, we're waiting for you to come back. Don't, don't you dare think anything else. You're coming back to your pulpit. Got a great haircut. And uh, the other thing that won the battle is that uh, Mark and I are now twins. We asked the eldership to join us, but no one, has, no one has taken up the thought as of now. All right, here's a couple slides I want you to look at with me. And the message is so simple, but it's going to impact some people here for different reasons. You're fighting with things. Brokenness is real. Dysfunctionalities happen. Broken marriages, broken children broken jobs, broken life, broken dreams. Some of you have given up on your dream a long, 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 long time ago because you got squeezed so much by the enemy and by life. Some of you are frazzled just to live. Someone gives you a good word about prospering in your life and having a great future. It just seems like a word that's out of step with you because that's not where you're at. You're fighting against uh, maybe your own doubts, your unbeliefs, your giants. It might not be a cancer, like what I had to fight against, a very real physical thing, but it could be a spiritual thing, an emotional thing, a mental thing. It could be a number of things. And I'm going to give you a word that if you would just open your heart, just open your heart. I'm going to give you a rhema word that will help you win this battle. And by the time we end this service, you will say to yourself, I can beat this thing. I can beat it. I can win. I can go beyond this. You can do that, and you will do that. Here's the first slide. God is for me all the time. It's not based on your works or anything you do. God's for you all the time. In the good and the bad. Well, of course, I feel good when things are good, and God's good when things are good, but when things are bad, I think God might be bad. Not that way. 
in good and bad, when I'm doing great and when I fail, in disappointments, discouragements, extraordinary trouble, and pain. Jeez, I know a lot about pain right now. You know, I might even do a message on that one little word because I saw so many people in pain. Pain. And I was in pain. Excruciating pain. When I think about that, I think about how pain ruins people. It ruins their social life. It ruins how they go to work. It ruins a lot of things in their spiritual life because they're in pain. They can't sit through a service. They can't sit through a sermon. And so I would like to uh, lift up a hope in your heart that God is for you and that pain can be conquered. That pain can be conquered. Can I hear an amen? amen. God is all-powerful. Always. Everyone say always. always. Always loving, ready to help me right now. Next slide. God is for me when I can't see it. Most of us want to see it. Feel it. Understand it. Well, I'll tell you right now, the last seven months during the depth, the depth of this trial, the longest, deepest trial I've ever been through, there were times where I couldn't see anything, I couldn't feel anything, and I didn't understand anything. There were times where all I could see was a brick wall in front of me and a long, 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 dark tunnel. And at the end of the tunnel could be the end of everything anyway, so what's there to hope for at the end of the tunnel? I know what it's like to not see, not feel, not understand. But still, the confession is, God is for me. Even when everything falls apart, and I'm on the brink of giving up, I never gave up. God is for me. God is for me in the hardest places. How many of you would say this morning, those two, two proclamations right there, some of those sentences fit my life exactly where I live right now. Lift your hand on all the camps. Just say, some of those sentences read my mail. That's exactly where I am. All right? We are going to push into the Scripture and just simply believe the simplicity of what it means to have God for you because God is for you. Take down these Scriptures right now, please. Isaiah 41, verse 10. Fear not. Fear is the greatest thief, the greatest robber. Fear never, ever lacks the opportunity to invade your life. And the very first thing the prophet gets from God is, fear not. I am with you. Come on, say it with me. I am with you. So if he's with you, what do you do? What do you do? Fear not. Paralyzes. First John 4 says fear is a tormentor. That's what it says in the Bible. Fear is a tormentor. It comes in and torments your mind. It makes you think about things in the past that are long forgiven. Things in the future that might never even happen. And so you get paralyzed with a, with a fear that's an invisible thing, but it comes in and it just begins to, to put the hand of fear on your head and your heart and squeeze you until your life is so shrunken you can't really do anything. The Bible says, fear not, I'm with you. Be not dismayed, that is, be not discouraged, for I am your God. 
I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. That meant a lot to me. Those words right there. Yes, I will help you. Come on, say it with me. Yes. Turn to your neighbor and say, God's going to help you. Come on, turn to the other neighbor and say, God's on your side. You might be the only person saying that to that person. Here's another scripture. Psalms 118 and verse 6. God's now at my side. Hallelujah, right now. And I'm not afraid and would dare lay a hand on me. Who would dare to lay a hand on me when God's on my side? Even if you experience the bad thing, they're not the winners. Psalm 16, verse 8, day and night, I'll stick with God. I got a good thing going, and I'm not letting go. How many would say, I'm sticking with God? You know, doubt doesn't play fair. Unbelief doesn't play fair. Fear is horrible. The devil is horrible. Sin is horrible. Darkness is horrible. Why would I go with any of them? I think I'm just going to read this verse again, and I'm going to say it day and night. I'll stick with God. I've got a good thing going, and I'm not letting go. Come on, give the Lord a shout and a little cheer right now. I've got a good thing going. I've got a good thing going. I've got a good thing going, and I'm not going to let go of it. God is on my side, and that's awesome. Romans 8.31, so what do you think? With God on your side, it's like this. How can we lose? That's pretty straightforward. So what do you think? Well, tribulations, sorrows, shipwreck, all the stuff in the verse, right? Verse 30 and 29 and 28, all things work together for good to them who love the Lord are called according to his purpose. And then you keep going and you see all the things that try to separate them should death, says it, separate you from thinking right? Life, infirmities, afflictions, and sickness. So he says, he sums it up, and this is Paul saying, so what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can you lose? Well, I'm thinking wrong. I thought I could lose, and I am sometimes a loser. I even call myself a loser. And I tell other people, nothing works out, and I'm a loser. Paul's saying, adjust your thinking. You're not a loser. You're a winner. God is on your side, and he is working. Open up your heart and quit letting all those things rob you of what could be an awesome life for you to live. Can I hear an amen? amen. Here's another one. Psalms 23, 7. He proved he's on my side. I've thrown my lot in with him. Now I'm jumping for joy, shouting and singing my thanks to him. Well, I would like you to just kind of do that for just a second right now. I would like you just to kind of uh, shout and, uh, and say some things out loud, sing some things out loud, and kind of just go weird with me for about 30 seconds. And let's make this verse really live. Now I'm jumping for joy and shouting and singing my thanks to him. I'll tell you right now, I am filled with hope, 
filled with joy, filled with the presence of God. This is a great day to be alive. I'm thanking God. I'm praising God. This is sure real. I've been through the tunnel, been through the darkness. I've been through the valley. I'm up on the other side. Hallelujah. This is a great day to be alive. A great day. Come on. Jump up to your feet. Jump up. Jump up. Come on. Come on, Lord. It's a great day to be alive. It's a great day to be alive. It's a great day to be a winner. It's a great day to be a winner. It's a great day to be a winner. Hallelujah. God is on my side. The devil's a liar. God is on your side. God is on your side. God is on your side. I'll tell you right now, I'm a winner. I'm the loser. I'm the head, not the tail. I am a winner. I am a winner. And I say I'm not letting go of this. God's on my side. Nothing can separate me from these things. This is awesome. This is true. I'm telling you the truth. It's just too good to be true that you just don't want to cheer and roll down the aisle or jump around or do something really because we don't really believe that that can be that true. It's true. God loves you in spite of you. God loves you in spite of everything. He's on your side. Your side. Little things, little things in the hospital where I got pneumonia, and honestly, I really thought I, I, I thought I was on my way out. I think Sharon thought the same thing, and the doctor even said it. And I was laying in a in a hospital bed before they gave me another room, and the doctor that's over all the doctors of Kaiser Hospital just happened to be visiting going down and talking, and he knew that I just checked in, so he just stopped. And the nurses and the doctors were talking about what to do with me, and he stopped them. He goes, stop. See this man right here? Nothing happens with him unless you ask me. I'm taking over. I'm going to take over this life right here. He is not going home. He's not going to that ward. He has pneumonia, he's on the brink of death, and we're gonna make sure this doesn't happen. I'm taking over this man's life right now. Well, where did he come from? And he did, he did. He saw me every day, several hours, even at the very end, when I was gonna go home, he came up and, were you there, Sharon, when he was in the room when, when I left? The when he was there, and the nurses were there, and they were debating whether to let me go home. I said, I want to go home, but my breathing still wasn't good. And, and he just leaned back in the chair and started talking to me, and he goes, you can go home. He says, you've won the battle. He says, this is what we'll do even after you go home, but it's okay. God put him in my life. God put him in my life. Come on. God put people in our life. God puts people in your life. You're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. Even if you have no physical bodies around you, you got Jesus. And Jesus sometimes just sends a few angels. Don't forget the Bible says they're ministering to us as the instruments of God. I have angels that watch over me. 
you have angels. Maybe they're tired of listening to you, and so they stay a, wing, a wing's length away. <laughs> Instead of an arm, you know, a wing. So you need, you need to draw on the strength of the angels that the Lord has given you, upon the Holy Spirit, upon presence, and you need to fill your mind with these scriptures and these definitions say, God's for me, and I'm going to start living so differently with a different uh, voice, with a different heart, and I'm going to see how God will just keep opening doors, and before you know it, how many of you are in a deep, hard fight with something right now? Let me see your hands. You're maybe even fighting for your life. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's legal drugs. Maybe it's illegal drugs. Marijuana, to me, is illegal. I don't care what you said. They offered, they offered me a, a medical marijuana card at the hospital. They said, here, you can use this. I said, I used to use that when I was unsaved and marijuana destroyed my life. Now you offer this as a medicine to me. I'm going to report you. I don't, I don't need marijuana. Now, some of you smoke marijuana. Some of you grow marijuana. Pull it up and do not burn it and smell it. Just get rid of it. No tricks. No tricks. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. It's wrong. It's never going to help you. It's going to muddy your mind. It's not the thing you need. What you need is some healing right here that opens that up so you don't have to have that. All right. I've been standing too long. The clock says seven minutes. That's seven minutes to what? Is it seven minutes to 12.30? What, what time is it? 12.20. And we're supposed to be out at 12.15. Yeah. Yeah. Should we go a few minutes more? Okay. I know that's unfair to the people that just don't even want to go a few minutes more. But that's because you need Jesus to visit. No, no. I'm kidding. All right. <clears throat> I'm going to read a sentence, and you're going to say right after I finish the sentence, the Lord is on my side. It doesn't matter what odds are against you. It doesn't matter if the circumstances are insurmountable. It doesn't matter how dark and hopeless the situation looks. It doesn't matter what you're up against. It doesn't matter if the pain is intolerable. It doesn't matter if the enemy comes in like a flood. Hallelujah. Come on, I believe that. I believe that. On every one of them.
In the book of uh, Judges, I'm just going to refer to this. Gideon really was the guy I latched on to when I was in the hospital. Because Gideon was, was uh, in a bad place and he admitted it. Gideon had a bad confession and he admitted it. Gideon had questions and a bad attitude toward God and he admitted it. And out of all that came a miracle to him and his whole nation and God transformed his life and used him as one of the God chaser, God movers in all the Old Testament. And I think one of the reasons is he was honest and vulnerable where he was. He didn't try to hide anything. He said, this is where I am and this is what it's like. In Judges chapter 6, he says, everybody around me is greatly impoverished, which means they're at the end of their rope, just like I am. When the angel came to Gideon, Gideon said, time out. You know what? I'm at the end of my rope. I'm at the end of my rope. I don't even want to hear this positive dream and uh, victory stuff and how we're going to fight and win. I'm at the end of my rope. Judges 6.6. 6. Judges 6 and verse two, 2 through 4, it says that they had no sheep, no oxen, no donkeys. They had nothing to work with, no tools. The Midianites stole all their tools. They had to work with their hands. They were living in dens, caves, and strongholds. They were totally desolate, deficient of all resource, barely enough to scrape by like a ghost town after severe drought or a natural disaster. They had nothing to work with. In the natural or the spiritual, nothing. They had no animals, no tools, no weapons. Their cities were burned and destroyed. Their crops were being robbed. And God comes to visit this man at this time under severe attack. And in verse 11, Gideon simply says, I'm threshing wheat at nighttime behind the wine press because I am afraid. And I just have this little bowl, and I thresh this little bowl of wheat. I feed my family, and the next night I come and hide, and I do the same thing again. He says, you want me to have vision to get out of where I'm at? Get killed or worse? Gideon said, I'm stuck. And I always will be stuck. There's no way out. Gideon is saying, nothing I do works out. When was the last time he said that? Nothing I do works out. Nothing I do works for me. Nothing I do seems to come my way. I don't get the breaks on the jobs. I don't get the breaks with the money. I hear other people's testimonies and I say to myself, I've never had a testimony like that. I'm stuck. Nothing I do works out. I thought I'd be finished with this trial by now, but it just keeps dragging on. I have the same thought and the same mornings every time I wake up is that spirit of depression or that spirit of whatever. And so, you know what, Frank? I'm at the end of my rope. I, I lack. I have no resources. I have little vision. And, and what would you say to me? Verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you. You mighty man of valor. 
Gideon says, there ain't nobody mighty here. Who are you talking to? He did. He said, hey, who are you talking to? You, you talking to me? I'm the least born of my family, and I'm in the worst tribe of the twelves. He was. He said, not only is my nation bad, my tribe is bad, my family is bad, and I'm the least of the bad family. I mean, you're digging, really digging down low. He says, Gideon, arise, you mighty man, and you will deliver all of Israel. Couldn't be further from his mind. But what happened is when God invades a man or a woman's spirit, and they begin to see themselves like God sees them. Before you know it, they start saying, I'm a mighty warrior. God is with me. You know what? Things are going to work out. You know what? I'm going to make that dream happen. You know what? The enemy is not strong at all. I've been lied to. The enemy is the one in the den and the cave begging for help. He's been defeated at the cross. The blood of Jesus has already taken care of what the devil can do to me. So he's been lying to me the whole time. So I'm going to stand up <clears throat> and allow the courage to come. I want to end with the last. Sonny, if you're working the slides, I'm going to go to the very last slide on remember. Remember God is with you for you and turning things around in you and around you. You must make a choice to take a chance to change the impossible things. Now that is a very, very, very good little paragraph. Okay, remember God is with you. God is for you. God is turning things around. Mark used to say to me every time he visit me in the hospital, Mark Joan, which was every single day I was in a hospital, Mark came to my bedside. And he would always say, God's turning things around, Pastor. There's a miracle happening in you. Now I'm all hooked up with everything, laying there and usually just blah. I said, so there's a turnaround. He said, it, turn it around. Do you feel it? <laughs> no. So Mark says, let me pray for you. You know, Mark prays loud. <laughs> so he's praying, dear Jesus, we're believing today for a breakthrough. In come the nurses to do, to do my vitals and have the machine. And he's praying, Jesus, I believe today you can join us. The nurse stops dead in his tracks. He said, just, just close your eyes, join us. Jesus is in this room today. There's a turnaround going on in this man's life. I had to laugh and take in faith at the same time. Come on, church. You are winners, and we are winners. God is on our side. We're going to make it happen. Remember, you must make a choice to take a chance, it's worth it. Yeah. To change the impossible things around you. The word of the Lord is in your mouth. It's first in your heart, then it's in your mouth. And if you use your mouth 
as much as you mouth off the wrong thing, if you mouth off the good thing, you'd be a manifested son of God before the day's over. If you're drained of strength, if you've been chopped down like a tree, if you lost your dream and given up, if you are in a prison house of all kinds of things and you want to break out, that's where Jesus comes in and says, no case is too hard for me. It's amazing to me. But there is nothing too hard for Jesus. I don't care how twisted the person is or how, you know, their life has been nothing for so long and then Jesus picks them up. You know, Nicky Cruz was a great, in my day, inspiring man. I, know, I knew him and do know him. And uh, you couldn't be around Nicky without getting inspired. He'd start talking, and I mean, you would draw, would drop. You just, this man is so filled with, and he comes from nothing. He comes from nothing, nothing, nothing. He has no education. He had nothing to offer, but he had the word of the Lord in his mouth. And he took people to task. He delivered people from drugs. He would tell them that drug demon's coming out of you right now. You won't touch heroin again, and if you do, you'll get vitally sick. He prayed for that person. They'd be delivered from heroin right there on the spot. Come back, give testimony. I haven't taken any more heroin. End up being part of the church, going on with life, just by the word of the Lord. I want the church to get a little bit more rowdy with your mouth. Just a little bit more to speak the right things over your life. God's with me, God's turning, there's a miracle coming, there's a miracle here. I'm gonna get through this, I'm gonna get through this, I'm going to get through this.